in a church this morning, worship God, and uh, as Christian, and has already said, if it's your first time here, a particularly warm welcome uh, to a community of all people that believe in an extraordinary difference in our lives. And if you've never found Jesus to be your personal friend, then this morning that can happen. If you've been somebody that's been in a wilderness, in a desert, been removed from fellowship of your own journey and choices, then you can come back to a place which is the God for every believer to be part of a local church and to serve him in purpose and power. And uh, we will say that more and more in, in Jesus' name. So we want to come to the word this morning. And if you've got a Bible, we're going to go to some of the most well-known verses in the whole of the Bible. In fact, many people that are Christians pray this prayer because they don't know any other prayer, but they know this one. Uh, many schools tomorrow will pray this prayer. Uh, many contexts around the world, many civic and governmental places will pray this prayer. And I'm going to share on this prayer for a few moments this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read from verses 9 to 13. theme these couple of weeks, and Pastor Steve Uppel will be to bring a conclusion to this particular season of that prayer works. And uh, here we've got in Matthew uh, 6 and verse 9, the words of Jesus, where he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a great song we've just sung that actually prays that very prayer, that God would be at the center of everything. I'll come back to that in a moment, but when you sing that song like, you pray in the kingdom. You to come life and in, in your world. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts or our sins as we also, uh, as we also are forgiven our, our debtors or those that have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then some of you will find in your Bible, some in the margins, there's a little sort of debate as whether it was in the original text or not, but I like it. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This then is how you should pray. Two weeks of me on prayer, and I said last week that I'm not coming with a philosophical approach to prayer. Little ball of cotton wool that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's all. Of questions about what well, if we pray that's because Christian said earlier in a team meeting prayers out we've made it complicated I'm not coming this morning to or cynical you can still be on a journey and are not convinced about that statement I'm coming with a pers- persuasion this morning friends I'm coming with a persuasion that when people reach out to the living far more than we realize he's done far more in your life than you ever realized because other people pray for you done far more through your life to other situations because you have prayed than ever you realize. Prayer works. I'm not saying that there's not time for those other things. There are great Christian writers that would address those issues. Philip Yancey comes to mind. But it's not the purpose of this. It comes from the conviction that prayer, when we engage in it personally, and also when we come together corporately, which was the passion of last week's ministry from chapter Four. So last week was about a decision. After they prayed, something took place. This week's about a direction. Because people said, okay, Jesus, can you help knowing how to pray? It works individually. In the context of Matthew 6, of course, it's a secret room where you close the door and pray. And it works corporately. Does it mean that we've got to pray these words every time? No, it doesn't mean that. Hearing what is known as the Lord's Prayer, perhaps more accurately the people's prayer get some direction to help us in how 
to pray. It was never meant to be aimlessly just wrapped out. I was at school, when I was at senior school, we used to have a school assembly every morning. Oh, there was loads of notices, Christian, every morning in school. And of course, we used to say the Lord's Prayer every morning. And of course, some of the wags in school come up with other versions of the Lord's Prayer because it had to get repetitive. And of course, in those days, which is a long time ago now, of course, a long time ago, you know, teachers would sort of look around, see if they could catch somebody else. There was no sort of, if I give a wallop around the head, whether his dad's going to come up and wallop me, because in my he went up, he got a wallop around the head. Guess what? You got another one. <laughs> And uh, there were some interesting incidents, let's put it that way. In <clears throat> now, God's not asking us to pray like that. That's a friend's occasion. It's good for us to pray. And in arena, occasionally we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. I have to say every time we And uh, so, but it's not meant to be part fashion. Jesus was giving us some principles, some direction, some help that would be embedded in our prayer journey because prayer works. And over the next few minutes, I've got six major pointers that will help us this morning, I believe, by God's grace, re-engage afresh with all that God wants to say. Now, to say these words are so well known, as I prepared the ministry this week, I, I just felt afresh the whole challenge of this prayer wash over me. I realized that it is about request, and we'll come to that about that, but it's also about relationship. I realized preparing God, speaking to me, and I want, by God's grace, think of that inspiration this morning. So you may say, well, I've heard this before. I've read these verses a thousand times. I can repeat them off by heart. Is it in our being? Does it define the journey? Because that's what God wants. So point number one, the Father. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. It immediately highlights what I mentioned last week, that it's not just about requests. It is that. It's about relationship. Here's the truth. Don't get the relationship right up asking requests because you don't believe the relationship's good enough for the father to receive to you james says that you don't receive don't ask. and here we are friends right at the start of the prayer and it throws up a problem for lots of people and if i can say with some sensitivity right around this room now there are people that have a problem straight away simply because i say one word other the politically correct brigade of the ecclesiastical church have said, well, mother is there. Our mother in heaven. And of course, there are some of a particular tradition that would believe that more than most. Doesn't work. Doesn't work, friends. It's meant to be father. You can mess around with it however you want. And and as I've said, Jesus' words, I'm taking them as the said. Our father in heaven. Well, Well, number one, because of Paul teaching. See, the history of the church has often depicted God as vengeful and retributive. In other words, he is the person that likes to when he, when, when he feels like it. And that's your understanding, Heavenly Father. I suggest not a great foundation for an ongoing relationship. But the other issue is poor earthly experiences. And so, in your poor earthly experiences, no encouragement, no that positive, say, a lot worse than that. And clearly in a public context, we're not going there this morning. 
So every time the word father's mentioned, it lights a blue touch paper in your spirit. Every time somebody mentions about praying to the father, you say, I can't do that. Because there is something that has become laundry basket just a few weeks ago, a lid on your life that pressed down. And as I get to talk about prayer today, you never really began the journey because you're not believing that God is your heavenly father. Friends, it's got to change. It's to change in our spirit and in our life, or else you are in danger. Your Christian life in the relationship God has called you to enjoy. How does it come to us? And in a bit super spiritual for a moment, but it comes by revelation. It comes by a revelation of the word. You may say, well, I, I'm not that sort of person that gets revelation. I tell you, you can't be a Christian without revelation. You become a Christian understanding that God saw the world that he gave begotten son Jesus for you whoever believes should perish but have everlasting life that longs forever and you remember got it Woo! it was for me and I believe revelation comes to us a lot more than we sometimes realize authority of the word this morning I believe that God's wanting people all across arena church in 2012 to step into a revelation of what it means to relate to father let me say, friends, that the Father corrects. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 13. talks about love. He corrects us. He said that God loves us just as we are, but he loves us far too much to leave us. Yeah. And he's interested in our character. He's interested in us becoming more like Jesus. He's interested in positioning us so that we can be used. He's interested in us being taken to places where our character can keep us intact, rather than us getting carried away, all sort of fritters away. So it corrects us. But let me tell you also that God the Father cares for us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, he says he knows the hairs on our head. He knows about every detail of our life. And if we'll see the kingdom of God, then all these other things, practical things of the context, will be added to us. He's a father that cares. He's also a father that's compassionate because the psalmist says in Psalm 103, verses 8 to 13, father is compassionate to those whom he loves. And you know that word compassion literally means to feel something inwardly, to pull something out. He's a compassionate father. And friends, the father is compelling in his love. In verse 1, what love father has lavished upon us. We should be called what? The children or the sons and daughters of God. It's about relationship. As I began to get ministry ready, I realized that I can't preach at these points for the whole duration of the message. Don't worry, I'm not. But I wonder if you're a Christian this morning that has never really come to a realization of the Father's love for you and therefore you loved and therefore unaccepted you unforgiven and therefore are always guilty and feel unworthy therefore you are always anxious good place to be for forward advancing prevailing Christians and it when we don't live in the revelation of the father and God 
raising up people prophetically in these days to speak to the church. Reverend Mark Snibby, interestingly, began his curacy in the Anglican church just down the road in Stapleford, 25, 28 years ago. And Mark was adopted as a baby. Has never met, knows nothing about his earthly father. Came to Jesus in his teenage years in a revival in a public school that he attended. Came into Anglican ministry and God's opened up his ministry across the world today to speak about the father heart art in an amazing And that got Joy magazine this week, uh, sorry, Remag. <laughs> so, can we just wind the tape back of it? <laughs> Don't forget re-online next <laughs> And I read about Christine Kane. That's Christine. She works out of the Hillsong Church in Sydney. Australia, from a Greek background. Christine tells the journey in this and more to come from it, that not only was she unwanted as a baby, but she was unnamed. In fact, she was baby 2568. How about coming friends, not as a name, but as a number? And God has brought a revelation to this lady's life. Father. And the reality is, friends, today that you may be in this earth. As I'm speaking right now, there's things popping in your spirit. You say, that's me. I, I, me, God the Father. I always think that as a Christian, if I ever be swatted into outer space in a moment, so what's the point to me trying? Not the Father. It may be, friends, that you immediately go to other situations. The reality is in the 20th century in which we live, if I can say this seriously but very sensitive. It's something that's been a passion in my heart for a number of years. We live in a fatherless generation. And the enemy loves it. He loves to sow that into people because he understands the bad brings to people relating. What Graham Kendrick says, O father of the fatherless, in whom all people are raised, you gave me gave my past. Now in your arms I'm safe at last. Your father, in your embrace, I'll forever secure be. I love the way you father me. I wonder if you love the way that father you. I wonder if you can genuinely say that, friends, because beginning of the prayer. You see, if you don't engage in a relationship with the father, it's going to inhibit the other elements of your life. And I believe, friends, today that God wants us to come to a place of our father hallowed. We worship you, we praise you, we yield to you, submit to you, we to you. Whatever that word conjures up in your mind, friends, it's a word of abandonment as we've sung in the songs today. And we gladly do it knowing that we can trust literally our life with the Father. And it may be that you're going to go on a process, friends, over these next weeks and months. It may be that it even happens today where there's some healing going to take place in your life. You need to press through into it. If speaking to you right, press through into it and call a new day over your life. Number two, briefly, the king. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom, friends, was sent to the teaching of Jesus. Read Mark's gospel. And at the end, chapter 28, verse 31, the final verse of the Acts of the Apostles. What do we find the Apostle Paul doing? proclaiming the kingdom God. Let me just say this as an aside, and I better move on, otherwise it will. 
The kingdom and the church are not opponents, they're friends. And if you really want to see the kingdom, you better make sure you're part of church. Because they don't work in opposite, they work in tandem. And when we read about the church, the church, the church in Acts, right the way through being built, being persecuted, praying, we come right at the end to hear the apostles speaking of the kingdom. That's how it works. Your kingdom comes in the original language of the New Testament is Basileia. It literally means, friends, realm, the United Kingdom. I know our British friends are having some things to say about that at the moment, but we live in the United Kingdom. It's a kingdom. It's a realm defined by graphical borders. The water that goes all the way around us. It's been useful on occasions in the past. We live in a realm, but that's not what the Bible's speaking about. The Bible's speaking about realm that rule. In other words, friends, we can be in Africa today, the kingdom comes. We can be on the other side of the world in the southern hemisphere, in the South Sea Islands, and the kingdom comes. We can be right up in the frozen wastes of the north, and the kingdom comes. It's not defined by a rule. It's defined by a realm. It's defined by a rule. Because when we say to King Jesus, our life is submitted to your authority over us, then the kingdom See, when I was younger, I used to think that when I was praying for the kingdom to come, it was like a heavenly TARDIS that was going to drop from the sky. It was coming. It was always few. It was always in the field. It was all out there. It was there. And then I got a revelation about what the kingdom was. It revolutionized my life. Because, friends, it's not a TARDIS that's going to drop down from the sky sometime in the future, but it's right here and now. It just said in Luke's gospel that the kingdom is within you. And when you go to work tomorrow and say, what will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying that the rule of Jesus will be over everything that you do at work. Someone says for, to pray for the kingdom to come. Our will entirely to God. We've been seeing it all morning. And it is a kingdom now. I understand, friends, that there's a kingdom complete in the future at the return of Jesus. But it's not just future. It begins now. And when we pray the kingdom over our life self... It begins to position us to pray for the kingdom over our family, the kingdom over our community, the kingdom over our church, the kingdom over our nation, the kingdom over the nations of the earth. Matthew 5, 6 and 7, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, where I get my ministry from this morning, is all about the kingdom. And here's some of the truths of the kingdom. When we are in Jesus reigning in our life, we read there about priority, purity, integrity, fidelity. We read there, friends, about empathy and humility. We read about receptivity and persistency and sensitivity. All great kingdom values. See, sometimes when you're at work, you don't need to start around bashing folks over with a big Bible. You just need to live the kingdom. And somebody comes to say, there's something different about you. What is it? There you go. Friends, we want the kingdom to come. The passion of this church, to this church is that the kingdom would come over this area of the East Midlands where God has placed us and beyond. And it's not defined by a church building. It's actually defined by your willingness to continually yield to the kingship of Jesus over your lives. Number three, request. Give us today our bread. Bread. 
Of course, for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, friends, that's a literal prayer. Literally praying. People in the world live on the equivalent of $2 a day, and many of them belong to the kingdom of God. But what is it for us? All the issues of what we face in our own nation at this time, friends, but relatively speaking, materially comfortable other areas of the world. It's a prayer, friends, of dependency. And it's a prayer that continually falls upon God. Give us today our daily bread. It's not just on about one prayer at the beginning of the year, and then, okay, Jesus, I'll do it myself, thanks. And how many of us love to take it back from God? How many of us, friends, we can ways today, think that sometimes we can do it better than God, and we can't. Give us today our daily bread. The, the word. We need God to speak to us. And I trust that in 12, what was to you? You're trying to read the Bible on a regular basis during the year. So the arena reading this morning was Isaiah 43, and the second part of it. And the little phrase that spoke before I came to church was to has to forget the former things. I'll come to that in a moment or two. But what about the bread of right words in your world? What about the bread of godly counsel? What about the bread of wisdom? What about the bread of sight? All these things coming to us. Give us today our daily bread. Let's live, friends, with a continual dependency upon God. Number four, the commitment. And forgive us our debts or our sins as we also forgive our debtors. The definition of forgiveness is to treat as though the offence has not been. You can see how God begins to dig deep when you've got a prayer. So first of all, forgiveness received. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. This morning, if you are in Jesus, you are forgiven. You're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You might say, Phil, I don't feel forgiven this morning. It's nothing to do with it. On the authority of the word of God, you are forgiven. God looks over your life this morning and it's as if you have not committed those things that still seek to haunt you. Laughter just that I could to you this morning. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 that we've received forgiveness through his blood. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and to more righteousness. Interesting, that verse was written to Christians and it was written with the understanding that we continually apply the principle of forgiveness to our heart. This is what happens. Somebody becomes a Christian and they get forgiven. They walk out of the church and I've become a Christian. I've forgiven. Six weeks later, they come and say, Phil, I've realized that as a Christian, I can still do things wrong. Hallelujah. Because six weeks earlier, you were you did something wrong. But now the Spirit of God's at work in you. Guess what? You were forgiven then and you're forgiven now. And if your friends, if you get it wrong, forgiveness is simply forgive you of all things that you've done wrong. It is past. It is present. It is future. You do not need to come to church your worthiness next three months because you are forgiven. You're forgiven. Forgiveness received. You need to believe it. You need to receive it. You need to receive the 
comment from heaven, not guilty. You need to apply it by faith and you need to live it. You see, miserable people live unforgiven lives. Oh, oh, oh. But when you the understanding of being forgiven, you're forgiven. Hear me this morning, I'm not suggesting that we play fast and loose with sin. I'm not saying that we go out there and just live as we like. Remember Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin? So that grace, forgiveness may abound. The bits. I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying, friends, is through whatever we do, the provision of forgiveness is all in store to ensure you keep going on your journey of moving closer to God. So forgiveness received, but what about forgiveness released? And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This is the prayer. Jesus said it. It's on to say in verse 14 that if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't, then your father won't forgive you. In other words, there's some tie up here in forgiving our sins as we've received forgiveness. Remember Christian's illustration of a few weeks before Christmas, the unforgiving servant. Jesus used hyperbole, exaggeration, as he often did in parables to get across the point. Literally forgiven tens of thousands of pounds. And he was really forgiven, but he wouldn't forgive the guy that owed him a few pence. And God was not pleased. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, says that everyone thinks forgiveness is a great idea until they have to do it. And you know, when I see some of these tests, these great cases of people standing outside the old bailey, I ask myself a question. What would I do? I put myself at Evelyn Dorrance where a few weeks ago, the end of that core celebra case. I think if it were my daughter that had been mowed down on a, on a street, well, what would I do? Let me tell you what condone wrong. Whatever wrong's been done to you, saying it was all right. It's not a sign of weakness. They'll think I'm a wimp if I forgive them. It's not that. Forgiveness is not going easy on sin. Jesus did not go easy on sin. Is everything for us. And forgiveness is not you waiting to feel forgiven. It's about doing it anyway. You see, we could all camp at the ground of unforgiveness. Why? Because it makes us feel better. See, in my quality, friends, the irony of ministry I'm not talking about people in the world now I'm talking about people in the church in my carnality I'm t- to hang on to things because I think people in my carnality are undeserving of so last night I went on the bed and I went to the file called Hurt it, it's, it's in the memory bank I've sort of God's blessed me with a bit of a decent memory and I wish sometimes he hadn't because <clears throat> I can go up 33 years to somebody suggesting ministry that we ought to live in a garage I feel pretty ticked off about that and so I could go on and I release forgiveness again release forgiveness again do I condone some of the things that have been said not at all do I think I'm going on sin not at all is it a sign of my weakness don't think so do I particularly feel like it at times a bit of it but as just as I've received forgiveness, release it. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I was talking to her at Christmas, and of course she 
It's in the UK now. And, uh, and I'll tell a story. I won't mention names because we're on tape. But last year, you may remember, we, we brought a prayer request to church. But one of Miriam's very best friends had been married six months in the church of which she was part for six years in Melbourne, Australia. And her, her husband was a player. Now, I'll try and avoid the intricacies of Aussie rules, but just to say in the state of Victoria, it is their game. It's what everybody talks about. Everybody's got a team. There are 10 teams in that state, and everybody's got a team. And uh, it's a very fast-flying game, game. It's a bit of a connection between football and rugby, and if some of you watch Gaelic football, uh, it's a little bit like that as well. And one of the guys in the church was semi-professional, so he wasn't playing in the Australian league, but just below it, a little bit like Jared would do very, very good standard football. This particular Saturday, they were playing football, and uh, the thing that what takes place is if you kick the ball, it's what's called a mark. Nobody's allowed to tackle you. So you can play straight away, take a punt goal, but it's your ball to keep. And this particular chap was illegally tackled. Well after the mark had been called. He didn't break his fall. And the reality was, friends, that his head went crashing to the ground with no break. And there were some to the damage done to his skull that he was virtually brain dead instantly. And two weeks later, they turned the machine off. And this girl's been married six months. The church, like every church, friends, sometimes just things that we really can't understand. He's 27 years of age. His brother's one of the prominent people of the ministry team. And they're waving him goodbye to heaven. But here's the truth. For my Miriam at the end of this conversation. She says, His parents went to see the offending player who'd made the illegal tackle. Forgive us our debts, we also forgive our debtors. Fifthly, briefly, friends, the desire. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's, what's Jesus asking us to pray here? Well, the reality is that temptation is real. It doesn't come from God, it comes from hell. But it comes often without cooperation. To 1 verses 50 to see how that, that works. Jesus allows us to be tested, but the enemy comes and you can read in Matthew 4, it's dealt with temptation. Someone says you need to expect it, detect it. Here's the challenge, reject it. What are we truly praying for here? We are literally praying that we would be kept from falling into temptation's trap. If you're a Christian and get tempted, you're not weird. Right across this room, every bloke in this room is going to get tempted to probably look at things they shouldn't do, even if it's a billboard or something that's trying to draw you in, because that's how people use things to draw you in. Is that, is that sin? No, it's not sin. It is not sin. But what we're praying for here, friends, is that we wouldn't be drawn into temptation's trap. And of course, King David would be a classic example in the Old Testament, and I won't say any more. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says comes a way of escape. I found, friends, sometimes I've proved that. You know, sometimes when you've yielded to temptation, have you ever gone back to God and said, God, there wasn't an escape route there? I couldn't. 
And God says, really? And he shows you the escape route. And every time, friends, we're tempted, there's an opportunity for us to go down the escape hatch and not do it. And here's the prayer this morning. If we're passionate about being close to God, we're passionate about falling into temptation's trap. Finally, the praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We started with praise. We finished with praise. And our apology in this church, friends, have been a people that passionately worship our God. For yours is the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever. The Lord's Prayer. You can see I got absolutely wrecked putting familiar verses in the whole of the Bible. And by God's grace, friends, hopefully falteringly, I've communicated a little bit of that to you. Not only the decision to pray, not second-guessing the words of the Master Jesus, but coming to the Father. Dependency for bread. Committing to receiving and releasing forgiveness. Asking to desire to stay from temptation's trap and giving him all the praise. E. Stanley Jones says that prayer is the exposure of the soul to God. This is what that, this prayer does. And friends, the more we align with it, the more I believe that we'll be filled with faith to call out on God for the impossible and to see how God can work in our lives.